Hello and welcome to Conversations with Q. I'm Lucia Fontana Powell, Q's Community Marketing Manager, and we're on a mission to cut through the noise and deliver you content that genuinely teaches you something and hopefully inspires you. So in this podcast series, I sit down for a chat with some of our favourite marketers and entrepreneurs, learning about them and from them. I say this to the Q team every week, but today's episode really was one of my favourites. I think partly because our guest, like me, is a digital marketer at a startup. Although he's definitely more experienced than me, we both share similar goals and face similar challenges. It's none other than Brian Peters of Buffer, a name I'm sure you're familiar with if you've even just dabbled in social media marketing. Brian is currently Strategic Partnerships Manager at Buffer, so he directs co-marketing partnerships, oversees the overall digital marketing strategy, and co-hosts the Science of Social Media podcast. If you've ever wondered how Buffer get their marketing so right, then you're going to love all of the behind the scenes knowledge Brian dishes out in this episode, from their hiring process to what they've got planned for IGTV. Enjoy. Hi, Brian. Hey, how's it going? Hi, really good, thanks. How are you? Excellent, doing well, thank you. No, it's great to have you here, as we've always really looked up to Buffer at Q, and I know you've played a crucial role in getting the company where it is today, so I'm very excited to talk social media marketing with you. Well, thank you, that's very flattering. I'm not sure I could take any or all of that credit, but I appreciate the, the kind words. <laughs> I think you definitely can. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, just first off, just so our listeners can get to know you, where are you based, and what's your favorite thing about where you live? Ooh, great question. So I'm based in Denver, Colorado, and I would have to say that just being within a 40, 30, 30, 40 minute drive to the Rocky Mountains is my favorite part about that. Wow, that must be amazing. Do you get to go there often then? Uh, Yes, I try to get up there at least once a week. Oh, lovely. I'm very jealous of that, actually. Yes, it's beautiful here. Yeah, I live in London, so it's not Not many mountains, but still a beautiful place. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I noticed you have a degree in communication studies. Did you always want to work in marketing? You know, I kind of fell into communication studies because it was the least impacted major at the college I want to go to. So I sort of fell into that just because I wanted to go to that college and I didn't really have an option. But when I started studying communications and psychology and the art of, I guess, communicating and and marketing and social media, I kind of had an idea that I wanted to do marketing, but I wasn't sure where or how. So I actually started in sales and then eventually went into social media. Um, but I think having both of those sort of backgrounds definitely pushed me to, okay, I know and love sales, but social media and marketing, you actually kind of get to do everything. It is a little bit of sales. It is a little bit of communications. And yeah, so that was, it was kind of fell into it. Sure. No, that sounds like a really good foundation. Um, and so you started out doing digital marketing and social media for a university, right? And then moved on to Buffer and I know you've held several different roles at Buffer during your time there so could you walk us through your career so far and how your role at Buffer has evolved? Yeah absolutely we'd be happy to so yeah like I mentioned I started in sales at a marketing agency and it was in 2012 when sort of social media was definitely a thing for businesses but it really hadn't caught on the way it has today in 2018 but I started I was sort of like just discovering that 
pages could have business profiles and social media at the, at the agency I was at. And then, so yeah, that's when I realized the, the power of social media marketing for companies. So then I ended up going to the university, taking over their social media program and really seeing the power of social media and how, particularly at a university where it's very student and alumni focused. So building a community is crucial for not only recruiting students and sort of like engaging with current students, but also, you know, you probably know this, but universities really thrive on donations from alumni. So Mm. social media really gave us the power to do all of that and raise money and and recruit current students. So I, I actually, realized then that like, yeah, social media is like an incredible tool for businesses. And then that's when I stumbled upon Buffer, uh, you know, following along with their journey page and the the, uh, transparent salaries that they have and the blog that they, that they have. So it it kind of was by accident over Thanksgiving where I just applied because it was on, I was on Thanksgiving break and three months later, you know, I started at Buffer as a social media manager and then eventually moved into more digital marketing, which included social media, started a podcast. And then today my official title is strategic partnerships manager, which still includes a lot of co-marketing, digital marketing and podcasting. Mm, And I'm very excited to talk to those about those subjects in a bit more depth with you, but just focusing on your own kind of career path at the moment. I know that you also write regularly on your personal blog and you've kind of maintained that alongside your work at Buffer. So do you think it's important for marketers to work on building a strong personal brand alongside all of the work they're doing in their day job? Yeah, absolutely. It's funny because I, I had a conversation with a pretty, he's a really great guy. We had him on the podcast called, um, his name was Everett. And he basically talked about the fact that building a personal brand, if you're in marketing, is crucial to not only the company that you work for, because it helps the brand that you're working for if you have a strong personal brand, but then it also helps any future company you go to work for as well, because you're able to take your brand and your knowledge with you wherever you go. So you're not only helping current, current company work for, but also future companies as well. And I think, I think building a personal brand sort of gives you leverage and freedom in, in a sense that, you aren't just connected or tied to the company that you work for. You're actually your own person, if you will, with your own thoughts and and expertise and, uh, you know, ability to sort of help businesses and people no matter where you go or what you do. And I think that it's also sort of fun to build a personal brand, right? You get to like develop passions outside work in and it really rounds out your knowledge of different marketing subjects and expertise. So I think it's, crucial not only for just learning and knowledge development, but also uh, the brands that you go to work for. Definitely. And I think especially from my experience working at startups, because it's a smaller team, you do have that opportunity to show off your different personalities. And I think that really helps the audience connect with you as a brand. Yeah, I 100% agree. Yeah, one of the strongest, I guess one of the strong points of the Buffer marketing team is that, yeah, we all have our own faces and people will have you know, kind of got to know us over the years and we're very personal and we do live Instagram stories that show our faces and it's just great for developing conversations, if nothing else. For sure. And I'm always really impressed by the consistency of Buffer's brand voice. Um, And across the board, Buffer employees do an excellent job of upholding this. So I'd love to know what's the hiring process like at Buffer for someone in a customer facing role, I assume that the company culture must be a big part of that. And is there a kind of onboarding process in place or is it more of a yeah. thing? 
Yeah, that's a that's a great question. It's funny because when you said that, like, we all sort of have this brand voice that we're good at keeping. Yeah. I was thinking to myself, um, we don't necessarily. That's just, I guess, based off the people we hire, right? So we don't have like this huge brand guideline with like you have to say these, you know, these specific words, yeah. and you have to be happy all the time. Though it is like when we hire people. So to go to your question, for sure, like when we hire people, we look for certain qual- personality qualities and traits, and we actually hire people more for their, I would say, culture fit and like would they be a good teammate of Buffer rather than their expertise because we really do believe that people can you know learn something very quickly and you know you know outside of engineering roles particularly like we hire for personality and then when we do onboard teammates there is a sort of hey, use this instead of this. Um, this is how you portray empathy. And we, we sort of like, we have the buffer values that you might've seen, yeah. positivity, encouragement. So it's almost like we hire for people who already sort of fit into this, the values that we hold as a company. And then the values are actually like sort of our, our internal brand guidelines of be positive, you know, show empathy, um, really care for your customers and just come across as you would if you were just yourself. So it's, it's pretty funny because all of our teammates are actually just themselves yeah. on social. No, that's really interesting. Cause I, I mean, even people I've had on this podcast <clears throat> so far have commented on, you know, Buffer and everyone always brings up how you guys always like sign off with your names on tweets and stuff. And it is those personal touches, I think that make it really successful brand. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. And those that signing off on tweets is like, it's funny, because it wouldn't seem like a big deal. But it really is it like puts a name to the to the person behind the customer service. And if anybody, you know, is having trouble with their account, they'd be like, Oh, I talked to Katie, yeah. you know, yesterday, or like, they can tweet out like, Hey, just had a great experience with Katie, you know, on, on customer service with buffers. Thank you so much. Sure, no, it's clearly made the buff brand very memorable from what I hear from people. So you've just mentioned that a lot of people, there's a lot of skills that you can learn just by doing the role. And that's why company culture is more of an important um, decision-making process for you when you're hiring. And I know you wrote a blog post recently um, on, I think the title was Why Learning is My Only Career Plan, which I really, really enjoyed. So can you tell us a bit more about this and how you further your personal growth and professional development? Yeah, absolutely. So... Ah, that, thank you for, thank you for reading the article. That was one of my favorite ones I've written recently. Yeah. So like I mentioned, I'm in strategic partnerships now before I was in social media. So for me, I feel like the, the way you make yourself an invaluable asset to a brand is that you sort of morph and fit and learn and try things that the brand needs at the time. Right. So if you're, it's particularly in marketing and social media, because if you're an engineer, you, you know, very specific skill set, very specific tasks you have every day. Like there's things you need to do with marketing and social media. The sort of the world is your oyster. You can do whatever you want uh, as long as, you know, it's on brand and you can write a blog post or you can make a video. You can do a webinar series. You can start a podcast. So I think that the the way that I've sort of thought about my career is, yes, I'm passionate, passionate about, about social media and marketing. So I know that's what I want to do, but I'm not necessarily like, tied to, oh, I'm a social media marketer, or I'm a paid advertiser, or I'm a podcaster. For me, the ability to learn and do things across the board not only helps buffer in, in ways that they probably, you know, couldn't get if they just had a, a specialist, but it also helps me in my career too, because I feel like marketing and social media change so fast that if you sort of dedicate yourself to one line of work, or you 
ignore some channels or tactics, then you're sort of leaving yourself short and not giving yourself the opportunity to really grow into, you know, what will be the skills needed in five to 10 years from now. So that's sort of my take on that was that I'm right now I'm focused on learning and delivering value. And that's what I hope to do for forever so yeah as you said none of us know where the social media landscape is going to go so we're just right. going to have to adapt really quickly right exactly and it's funny because i saw this quote uh, i'm reading a book called the personal mba which i highly yeah. suggest it's a great book but i saw uh i saw a quote it was like life is an open book test right so <laughs> like you can you can learn anything you need to know about anything today tomorrow like it's all open information online now so it, it's it's just that's sort of the approach i take to everything is like okay if i'm not sure how to do google adwords i'm gonna look it up and i'm gonna learn it yeah. because i feel like that's as long as you notice i guess the trends and then identify that as a trend and then say okay i'm gonna learn that because you can yeah you can and you can't learn everything i guess it can get a bit overwhelming knowing which trends and skills to pursue sometimes right right and that's a really good point too like i have pretty much admitted to myself that I'm probably not going to be an engineer. Okay. So I like, I tried, I tried coding once and I was like, you know what? I probably won't be as good as the worst engineer at any company. So I'm going to, you do have to, you're right. You do have to focus. Like for me, passion is my passions, marketing and social media mm. and communications and like writing. So that's where I, I think if you find at least a niche or like a semi niche of where you find, like there's a mix of passion and skill, that's where you can sort of like, open up the learning but yeah i would i think you're right i don't think you just go learn everything at once yeah, i too don't think i'm very good at coding so yeah leave that to the pros that's exactly you know. so would you ever launch your own business do you think you know it's funny i actually i think about this a lot because my wife launched her own marketing agency and she was really successful with it i'm like you know i could i could probably do that but i think i think i'm the type of person that likes to help brands that are already that already serve a, a great mission and i think that's what i love to do because i love being a part of a team and i love having sort of something to work towards every day i think i don't know if i would necessarily thrive as my own business owner but that's definitely in the cards of a, of a possibility one day yeah I'm, i mean i feel the same as you actually i do really like being part of that kind of wider brand but i think at the same time, you do sort of catch the bug a bit when you work for, in startups and it's really exciting seeing a company grow. I think that gets, yeah, right. a lot of people a taste for it. Yes. Well, it's funny too, because I feel like today in 2018, it's like, it's cool to, to start your own yeah. startup, right? Like it's, it's almost like, are you really successful unless you started your own company? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I try not to get into that mindset. I know that like you could be successful and happy just working at a brand and working for someone for the rest of your life. And I'm totally cool with that. I, I think there is like a little bit of a stigma about not starting your own company, especially in the SaaS world. Yeah, for sure. And I agree. That's a kind of mentality that can be a bit damaging actually, because we're fed all of these stories about these self-made millionaires who are only like in their twenties or whatever, but you, not everyone has to be like that. We can't have a world full of entrepreneurs. Right. Well, that's such a good point. So like, I think it's interesting too, because when I was, researching like the, the learning posts that I just wrote. It's funny because, and I'm sure you've done this too, is like you look at other people who are, you know, similar age to you and you look at all their accomplishments and you're like, gosh, am I really that successful? Or, you know, I think all of us have a bit of imposter syndrome where you look around and you, 
sort of compare yourself to others, particularly you're right. Like the people who have started a successful startup in their, in their twenties. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that one of the most dangerous things, particularly with personal branding is you're right. Like number one, first of all, comparing yourself to others, because there's always going to be someone who's more successful than you are. And that's just a fact. (laughs) And so as long as you know that you're, if you're, I feel like people have to, or like should try to find success in their own minds and like to find that for themselves. So for me, I don't think success is based on like starting my own company or salary base. It's more of like, okay, what, what have I done that I can be proud of in the last year work-wise? What have I done personally wise, like just in my own personal life that I can be proud of? And what are my own definitions of success and not to really look out and and compare myself to others yeah i think those are really good questions to ask yourself and actually i don't know if you've read this book but it's called the multi-hyphen method um by- no I yeah haven't, i, I, I haven't think you'd like one. it actually um it's quite kind of in line with what you've been saying and she has a lot of like nice exercises and things where you know you work out what actually motivates you as an individual instead of getting distracted by everyone else and it's really and yeah talking about kind of learning different skills and how we're all going to need to adapt and be many different things in a lifetime so thoroughly recommend it that's awesome i just looked it up on amazon as we're as we're speaking oh, good no let me know what you think <laughs> it's really good in fact i've been like going on and on about it so nice i love it yeah i always i always enjoy a good book right yeah um so kind of moving back to buffer um buffer's been a real leader in the SaaS space and like i said whenever i ask people which brands they admire everyone says buffer so when you first joined the company, was there a clear vision of how the brand wants to be perceived? And would you say you've stayed true to that original vision or have you kind of diverged from that? Yeah, that's that's an interesting one for sure. So I joined in February 2016. So I've been here about two and a half years. And I think when I first came here, it what it's I think our culture has always been wanting to be perceived the same way. So like known as a company for their great customer service and their positive attitude. So I think that's always sort of remained a core part of buffer. I think, I think what has morphed and changed over the two years and which I think should absolutely morph and change is like how we approach marketing and what we want to be known for. Because I think um, as you, you know, buffers, 5 million customers, 85,000 paying customers. So we're sort of hitting this spot where, you know, we're not just super fast growing startup, right? We're more of like an established company at this point, eight or nine years into our journey. So it's funny because that means our target customer has changed too, right? So we used to be um, like, well, are we going to go for enterprise level customers? Are we going to go for individuals and entrepreneurs? Are we going to go for small businesses? And I think that part, the marketing side of the, the like our, what we're known for is has changed. So it used to be, you know, let's, let's go for the bigger companies. Let's go for large businesses. Let's try to get them on those plans. And over the years, we realized that's actually not our target customer. Our target customer is more of the entrepreneurs and small businesses. And so recently, particularly within the last six months, we've changed to like, okay, we want to be known as experts in the small business arena as well. So, okay, what does that mean? What do small businesses worry about every single day? And so we're asking these questions of if a small business were to come to the Buffer website, what would they want to know about? So it's maybe not just social media anymore. It's the whole, you know, the whole marketing gamut of e-commerce stuff and, and selling and, and uh, customer service and community. So sort of like, yeah, I think that's, that's changed and morph over time, which we're, which we're really happy about. Yeah, sure. And I, I would definitely consider for me personally, the Buffer blog is one of the top resources that I go to and you always keep ahead of the latest social media trends and deliver like genuinely actionable advice. 
Um, and like, I'd love to hear a bit more about some projects you've worked on recently within your content strategy, because I know, how long ago was it you launched your podcast? So we launched our podcast in September of 2016. Okay, right. So that's been going for a while now. So how did you go, mm -hmm. why did you decide to launch a podcast and how did you go about that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, podcast, the podcast, The Science of Social Media is, is one of my most proud projects. So thanks for bringing that up. I love it. Uh, so, you know, it's one of those things where like, oh, podcasting is becoming a trend or you could kind of see it. People are starting to talk about podcasts more. I think that was around the time where like Serial was being talked about a lot, yeah. that podcast. Um, so NPR was making podcasting huge. And so it was like, hey, Buffer, you know, we are we believe in this idea of always experimenting with new channels or at least giving them a shot. And, um, so that's kind of how it started. It's like, Hey, that's a, it seems like a trend. This seems like a fun and exciting channel. It's a good place for us to sort of build a new audience. And so, uh, it was a smaller marketing team at the time. So I volunteered to take on the project and I'm, I'm glad I did because now I get to see, or I have, I've had the pleasure of seeing our podcast grow to, um, over 16,000 downloads a week these days, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's sort of that like growth mindset that we try to take to everything is like, okay, we noticed a trend is this trend worth pursuing? What is the, give me the time and resources involved in it? How, how big do we think we could get this? Not that numbers are always what we base our decisions on, but yeah. And then it sort of uh, has, has morphed and grown since then we started with interview style uh, like this show and then have sort of moved to just co-host format over the years. Sure. So I noticed that you kind of work the podcast episodes into a lot of your blog content. So how do they complement each other? Yeah. So that's sort of like something we're still trying to figure out um, because podcasting, as you know, is, is a, it's a medium that's very hard to promote. Like yeah. um, these, you know, these podcast platforms don't give a ton of analytics um, and there's just really no like search algorithm for podcasts. Like even I, even the iTunes store, it's really hard to discover new content and there's no, I don't really even think that podcasts are showing up in Google search yeah. yet, unless of course you have like a website, obviously, but so it's just like this medium that's very hard to, to figure out how it works. Right. And so what we said, okay, the blog's very successful for us, but we don't want to necessarily just post, um, show notes and which, which, which we do, but we need to figure out a way to make it valuable for our listeners that because the buffer blog is that's sort of, we don't want to just post anything. We got to try to make it valuable. So mm -hmm. Now the blog editor, Ash Reed and I, we, we talk a lot about the upcoming subjects that we're going to be talking about on the podcast and how we might be able to like repurpose that for blog content. So we'll, so we'll say, okay, cool. This week we're going to be talking about Instagram stories. Let's say, mm -hmm. um, is there an opportunity to both write a blog post about that? That will add value to our blog readers. Uh, could we maybe create a YouTube video that we can embed in the blog post? Um, and then we'll upload our podcast to SoundCloud and then embed the, the audio version of it. So it's very much a, how can we get the most out of the pot, not only the podcast episodes, but also like all of our mediums that we could rally around these subjects. And I think that helps because then we're not just like one and done. We get to like uh, sort of repurpose the content and use different media formats to, to promote whatever we're trying to talk about next. Sure. So now I really like that actually, how it's kind of repurposing content. And yeah, because mm -hmm. I think people do like to consume content in different formats as well. Would you say that um, you've got a type of content at Buffer, so the blog or video content or podcast that is more successful than the others? Yeah, for sure. Like our blog is, is the like our blog is the, is the cornerstone of our content. 
um, particularly our content marketing strategy. So we get about 290,000 to 300,000 sessions per week on the blog. So everything we do sort of revolves around the blog. Mm. And what we've done over the last few years, particularly at the, with Ash Reed at the helm is like focus more on blog content being long-term keyword searchable. So we like have put a lot more time and effort into optimizing our blog figuring out best ways to like target and research keywords and then making sure that our, our blog is healthy in the long run. And then, so once we, as long as you have that, then you can start to say, okay, how can we then take, cause a lot of times it's funny because a lot of times when you, when you optimize your blog for keywords, it, it's sort of the topics that aren't the most shareable sometimes, right? So like mm-hmm. how to schedule so- social media posts isn't the most shareable blog post, mm-hmm. but it's really good for SEO. So how, like, so what we have to figure out is, uh, is finding a balance between, okay, where we want searchable blog posts that solve problems for our customers, but we also really want viral social shareable content as well to keep the blog sort of top of mind for people. Mm-hmm. So I think the podcast helps to add a little bit of that in the sense that we don't necessarily care about SEO topics on the podcast. We care about stuff that's shareable. So that sort of sparks ideas for the blog content team. And then they spark ideas for us and it goes back and forth and, and it kind of like adds a nice mix. Sure. So which of your social channels are the most successful, do you think? And does each one serve a different purpose? Yeah, Facebook is by far, I would say, our most successful channel in terms of engagement and reach every week. Um, but I, yeah, I think each social channel serves a different pur- purpose in the sense that we actually do try to post different content for each social network, sort of like practice what we preach on the podcast. Um, but Facebook's a Facebook sort of like just really quickly running through it. Facebook's sort of the platform that is the best of the best content. And I always recommend that for people not to just post everything to Facebook. Um, so we actually we almost use Twitter as a testing ground for content. So every, we, everything we post on the blog and a lot of our podcast episodes and a lot of the things we do actually just go out on Twitter because I think it's a medium where you can post more. Yeah. Uh, and then we'll take, we'll say, okay, Hey, what content worked on Twitter over the last week? Does that make for a good Facebook post? And then we'll try to, you know, beef up the Facebook post, maybe add some, some video content there, uh, maybe add some different media content there. So yeah, yeah, I think each channel serves as a, and then Instagram is a very visual first platform, obviously. So we, we curate content to that platform, non-salesy, non-businessy at all, more of our culture side, uh, LinkedIn, very B2B. But I think all in all, Facebook is sort of like the pinnacle or like the, the key, keystone of our, of our social channels. And we try to only post the best content there. And then everything else is sort of a experimental phase. <laughs> Sure. No, I think a lot yeah. of people find that really valuable advice, actually, because a lot of people struggle with Facebook pages now. Um, and I've actually noticed more people kind of moving over to Facebook groups. For example, our Keep Remote mm-hmm. Facebook group is actually a really successful community. And that's we've seen way more engagement there than we do on our Facebook page. So does Buffer also have a Facebook group? Yeah, so we actually don't have a Facebook group. We use Slack as our community channel. And so we have about five or six thousand people in our Slack group. Um, but yeah, I totally agree that we're definitely seeing a, a move to Facebook groups. The, I want, I wanted to touch on something you just said right now. And I think it's super important is that it's like a lot of people do struggle with, with business pages. And yeah. we're actually, one thing that we've been doing a lot on our blog is we've been trying to focus a lot on doing research backed content. 
um, because we find that if you can do your your own original research, it, it like I feel like it's more shareable and people quote it more and you get more backlinks because it's information you can't find anywhere else as opposed to like the standard blog posts you might see, like how to schedule social media posts. Can you can read that anywhere? Mm-hmm. Um, so if you can find something original, then then it's very it's highly shareable. And I think um, we're doing a speaking of that, we're doing a like a research piece right now with Animoto on basically business page engagement over the last uh, six quarters. So a year and a half or whatever. And, and we're finding that business page engagement actually has actually dropped by over 50% on Facebook, but wow. brands are posting twice as much. So mm-hmm. you're, you're, they're posting twice as much, but engagement has dropped by 50%. And I think the reason is, is that we're almost in this, like we were like in this web where we're like trying to compete for most content on Facebook. So brands are posting more, but they're actually seeing less engagement per post. So I think, I think it's not, it sounds simple enough, but I think one of the solutions is, is like if we as brands just posted less, there would actually be less competition for everyone on Facebook and probably more engagement per post. But I think we're in this place where it's like, if I just post more, I'll get more engagement. And that's definitely not the case these days. And so that's what you're at. Exactly right. That's why you're seeing a shift to Facebook groups and, um, you know, advertising on Facebook and Instagram. So yeah, I don't, I don't thought, thought that was an interesting point. Yeah, no, that sounds really interesting. I'm really looking forward to reading that actually. You pretty much just got the whole post in like, <laughs> in like one minute. So cool. hear first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it sounds like you guys are constantly testing different channels and different strategies. Um, but what would you say have been your, like maybe some of your biggest flops and your biggest successes because obviously not everything works out in marketing right yeah nothing you're totally right and i I would say even like a a very small percentage actually works out in marketing i think you know and maybe it's not a flop Uh, it probably is a flop because we probably haven't tried it that hard but we've really tried to do webinars well Mm -hmm. and i feel like i look around i look at growth hackers like top posts and it's always like how this company you know how company x grew to 250 you know whatever based on using webinars. And we're always like, okay, we should, we should try webinars. We should get into webinars. And then we, we, we just realized that it's, it's, it takes a lot of promotion to get people to attend webinars. You know, you'll get 2000 signups and only like 50 people actually attend it. Um, so I think for us, we see the value in webinars and we've always wanted to try to do them well, because I think it adds like a fun element to your marketing program. Cause I think it's one of those channels that's, you know, really stands out on its own, but we're also maybe not doing it that right. And we've ran a few and just really haven't found success with webinars, but we, we want to. Yeah. And I don't know why we're holding on to that. Yeah. No, I mean, it can be a bit of a mystery sometimes I feel, and you know, I think a lot of marketers are constantly searching for strategies that they can just replicate or growth hacks, but it's not always that simple. You know what I mean? You can get inspiration from other people, but what works for one company might not work for you at all. Right. Exactly. And that's, but I, that's a hundred percent true. And I think just to add to that, it's like, you have to try it though, to know it doesn't work for you or if it does. And then you also have to give it like a real concerted effort too. Like if you just ran one webinar and decided it wasn't successful, that's might, you know, I don't know if you can really consider that an unsuccessful experiment, but if you really give it your best shot and try it and run, you know, three, five, 10 experiments or whatever, that's when I think you say, okay, uh, that wasn't successful for us. And, and I, again, like looking outside, like to other brands, you're right. Just cause it's working for them doesn't mean it, it was going to work for you. But as long as you like, no, it's okay to just, it's okay to say no to a marketing tactic moving forward. Yeah. 
so do you have a kind of um set like testing period for everything you do at buffer and then would you so run an experiment and then report on it and analyze it yeah so uh, we have like a experimental sort of like we use dropbox paper for like keeping track of our, our marketing docs and what we'll do is like okay if you have an idea for an experiment we, we basically start a pitch, right? So you'll start one in paper doc. It's like, hey, if we experiment with this, then this is what we think is going to happen because of this. So it's like, if, then, because. And that's sort of the experimental mindset we take to things. And we actually, it's cool because on, a mar- on our marketing team, we have the freedom to really pursue or do whatever we think is going to work. And that's going to be a cool project. And I think that in that part, like empowering your marketing team to do what they think is going to work is super important. And actually, you know, the team morale goes up and all that stuff. And as long as, but then but the, one of the key parts of that is that you have to have some sort of goal tied to it. So it's got to be like, if we do this, then we'll reach, you know, a hundred thousand people with webinars because webinars are, are used by startups everywhere. So it's not only like looking outside, seeing what's trending, and then like setting up this, I guess, experiment pitch, but it's also tying that to a goal and what you might expect to happen from that experiment. Sure. And I think it's important to have those kinds of frameworks and formulas in place. It's really helpful when you're testing things. Exactly. Yeah. That framework is super key. Cause then you can go back and be like, Oh, this worked, this didn't, why did this work? Why didn't this work? And you can really kind of judge from both an objective and subjective point of view. Yeah, definitely. So what do you think are the most important content and social media marketing trends right now? And is there anything you're really excited about that you think is gaining popularity? Yeah. So I think on a very high level, and this is probably not very actionable, but I think vertical video is absolutely one of the most important things that brands can try to figure out at the moment. Um, YouTube actually today. So what's the July 30th as we're talking uh, YouTube just released uh, vertical video format in YouTube. And so I think a lot of these brands, or I mean, a lot of the social networks are realizing that people, you know, are using their mobile phone. They're not using desktop anymore to watch video. And so pretty much vertical video is going to be the future of social media. And so that presents a small problem for brands because we all are used to filming and editing and landscape. And now, so, so nowadays you have to figure out not only do you have to record in, in vertical format, but you also have to edit in vertical format and understand what works from a mobile consumption perspective. And so no matter what platform you're on nowadays, particularly Facebook, Instagram, and, and YouTube, vertical video is going to be huge. And, and so I think it's one of those trends where brands are going to be hesitant to like move into that space. But I, I feel like the quicker they do, the better, or the quicker they do, the quicker they'll learn, and then the better their video content will perform. Yeah, no, it's definitely an exciting kind of trend at the moment, especially with IGTV. I don't know if Buffer's kind of been playing around with this yet. You know, we have. Uh, we actually haven't posted anything to IGTV yet, but we've been talking to other brands, and we have some we have some plans to do some fun IGTV stuff for the podcast as like almost a co promotion. Um, and then we're also thinking about doing a fun like interview series where we interview entrepreneurs from, from fun startups and feature them on IGTV and then now YouTube. So yeah, the, we have plans to do it in the future and we're thinking about it. So um, again, but we're just a little slow on the, on the uptake to get there. Yeah. I think it's sometimes quite good to just watch and learn and see what other brands do before just jumping straight into something. Totally agree. And it's funny because I was reading some stats this morning, I guess like I don't think people are adopting IGTV as fast as Instagram would uh, hope definitely not um 
it's like the early we're like in the early adopter stage you know what i mean so like yeah. and if you're like super passionate early adopter you're probably watching igtv but it's probably not as fast it's like instagram stories when they launched it was like a lot of hype around instagram stories and then it was like hey is instagram stories actually working and then now we just passed you know 350 daily users on instagram stories and it's only growing so i think it's one of those things where it's like the awkward child phase right now yeah of, of like content discoverability is a little tough um and there's just so much content on there. So I think they're in the figure it out stage, but I think it will get better. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm very excited for Buffer to publish the complete guide to using IGTV. I'm sure. Yes, be oh, it'll soon. be out. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be watching Tiffany. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> anyway, it's been really great talking to you. Um, and there's so many things that um, I could talk to you about, about marketing for ages. And I'm afraid that's all we've got time for today. Um, but just before you go, where can people find you on social media? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find us across the board at Buffer, just at Buffer. And then you can find me, Brian underscore G underscore Peters on Twitter. And then Brian G Peters on Instagram, if you'd like to say hello. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty much it. I know I picked up some really valuable insights from Brian and have already started testing some of them in Q's marketing strategy. Perhaps I'll report back on our blog soon. I also found it really refreshing to talk to someone who's totally comfortable working for another brand rather than aspiring to start his own business, which I can relate to. Like I said, we don't all need to be entrepreneurs. Thank you for listening to another episode of Conversations with Q. As always, we'd love to hear your feedback, so please do subscribe and drop us a review on iTunes. You can also tweet us at Q underscore co or me at Lucia Fontina. And if you use Anchor FM, you can call into our station, QCast. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode.